Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, good evening, and welcome to this week's Man of the Post Extra Time. Uh, my name is Chris, and with me as ever, I have got Mark. Hello. Uh, and Noema this week, she's not feeling very well, so we've got ourselves an Emma substitute in the form of Colin. Hello there, how are we doing? I'm not bad. Are you in a dress like she wears? Uh, not tonight, That I only do that at weekends. No? Okay. Very presumptuous that she's wearing a dress all the time. It is, it is. Uh, okay. Are you wearing, what does she normally wear? I suppose she's, this is a slippery slope, isn't it? Let's, let's not, let's not begin to go through this. <laughs> you'll just end up getting the, uh, the metaphorical slap from her, so. Yeah, she'll come and find me. Let's jump straight into the Champions League, shall we? Um, now then. Bayern 6, Porto 1. Now, Bayern with 3-1 down from the first leg, and they broke. They're dead to me now because they broke Ricardo Quaresma's heart. They were 5 0 up after about half an hour, weren't they, Mark? They were indeed, yeah. Um, Lewandowski was some pretty good knee slides after he scored. That header he scored was some great touches, wasn't there? Mm, nah. Fantastic football by Bayern Munich, um, especially the first half. But it, Porto were absolutely terrible. Or were they given a chance to play? No, they weren't. And, and we talk, I think we talked about it on, on the weekend podcast as well. Um, that we fancied Bayern Munich to go through on, on aggregate. Um, but Porto did, just didn't make it difficult for Bayern Munich at all, even though, and remember that Bayern didn't have Ribery, they didn't have Robin. You know, their two most gifted, created players. Schweinsteiger wasn't playing. Um, so it was, it was far from being a full strength Bayern Munich team, but they were, they waltzed through Porto as if it was first team versus the reserves in a training session. Was it a full-strength Porto team? Because I know they had Tello and people like that missing, haven't they? Martinez played, didn't he, because he scored. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's full-strength Porto or not. Um, I don't I don't pretend to be an expert on the Porto team. But even if it isn't, if, even if it wasn't the full-strength Porto team, their discipline and commitment has to be questioned. Mm. You know, if, if you're a regular bench player or you're in and out the side, if there's one night to prove yourself to... to stick to the manager's instructions uh, and actually perform and prove that you're worthy of a place in the team, then surely it was the other night. And there just wasn't even an ounce of that. Um, well, speaking of sticking to the manager's instructions, Pep actually told them not to, actually told Bayern not to go for it too much, uh, try and sit back and play a bit conservatively and then um, push on for the goals a bit later on. As it was, it took them 27 minutes to overcome the deficit. Um well, it was weird because they weren't they weren't bombing bombing forward. They just played what you would call a a very professional, very um, very balanced approach to the game. It's just that Porto was so easy to get through that I thought I think Bayern just kind of surprised themselves how far up the pitch they were getting without having without much resistance from from Porto's midfield or defence. So the, you talked about the, a goal from Lewandowski, a header. 
um, that essentially was two or three easy touches without a single challenge being put on the Bayern Munich players. For all, the goal looked great, and it was great technique to get them there. You know, the, 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 there was no way that that goal should ever have uh, happened. That was the long cross, wasn't it, with the flick on to Lewandowski? Yeah, cross come to, was it Muller? Mm. Flicked, it, flicked it on, volleyed it on, and, and Lewandowski headed it in. Great goal, but it was it was very, very poor on, uh, by, on Porto's part, and especially after having, you know, uh, played so well the week before, and the 3-1 lead to, to hang on to. Yeah, and Paul, I mean, Boateng scored pretty much a similar goal, didn't he? It was a header, I think, mm-hmm. as well, so that must have been poor defending. But Alonso's free kick was something special, wasn't it, at the end? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's always had a good, good long range shot on him. Mm. Um, did you see Pep's T-shirt in the press conference afterwards? No. Uh, he wore a black T-shirt with, uh, you have to forgive my accent, but Justicia para Toco uh, written on the front. Uh, demanding justice for an Argentine journalist killed in a traffic accident in Sao Paulo during the World Cup last year. Um, he's been charged by UEFA for wearing such a T-shirt as it relates to non-sporting manifestations, quote-unquote. Mm-hmm. This kind yeah. of goes back to Robbie Fowler and his Dockers T-shirt, doesn't it? Yeah, and there's plenty of others, isn't there? I mean, you had, what was it, Nicholas Bentner in the World Cup? Was it in the World Cup or the European Championships had his Paddy Power underpants on? And then you get people with God is Great and stuff like that on T-shirts underneath. All fairly harmless stuff, but, you know, football yeah. takes itself a bit too seriously sometimes. Yes, because Bentner got fined more for that than um, uh, than the Russian fans did for racially abusing Torre, didn't they, in the Champions League? Yeah, all makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> all well and good. Yeah. So that's buying through to the next round. Uh, joining them as well will be Barcelona as they beat PSG 2-0. That first goal, that run from Iniesta. Beautiful. Gorgeous run, wasn't it? And then that touch from Neymar to take it around the keeper. Yeah. Neymar's a funny player. I, I, he's got so many goals and everything else. But he, I think you always think he's a bit lost in that Barcelona team. In what way? In that he's not one of their four or five top players. Yeah, he's a top world name. He's he's got tons of goals for Brazil. He's a superstar and everything else. But I don't think we'd miss him if he wasn't playing. You know, in the same way they'd miss Iniesta or, of course, Messi. And I think I think Suarez is probably making himself more valuable to the team than Neymar. Yeah, of course he had his start uh, slow start after his ban, didn't he? But Neymar, that was Neymar's thirtieth goals this season. I know, which is ridiculous when you think about it. I'm just saying that he's playing second, third or fourth fiddle in the Barcelona team, yet he's got 30 goals. Yeah. You know, it's 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 ridiculous when you think of what I'm saying. I mean, but, he's an upgrade from Pedro, isn't he? Yeah, Pedro's a decent player, but mm. Neymar is a very good player uh, who, who can score a good goal. So... Um, Maybe I'm just talking nonsense. <laughs> no, but, no. I mean, he, he was the ultimate YouTube player, wasn't he, Neymar, wasn't he? All anybody had ever seen him on was uh, was YouTube, and could he cut the mustard in Barcelona? I think he pretty much has so far, hasn't he? Yeah, he's doing. He's doing. He's probably living up to his billing. I think he, he's not in this. Obviously, he's not in the same league as Ronaldo and Messi, but um, he's got quite some substantial benchmarks to live up to in that Barcelona team. He's kind of on that little sort of plateau below Ronaldo Messi, isn't he? With sort of Suarez and Aguero and people like that. Probably, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Barcelona's seventh semi-final in eight seasons. Edison Cavani, um, in 80 minutes of him being on the pitch, touched the ball less than Xavi, who was a half-time substitute. 
Cavani is one of those who has lived on a reputation for a long time. And I think perhaps it flattered him a lot. And I, I, I might have said it before on here, but I've certainly said it to other people. That I think he's a little bit the, the Uruguayan Andy Carroll. In respect that he's big, he's a decent player, good with his feet, got a bit of pace, got a bit of skill, but, and certainly more than Andy Carroll. But, um, I, I do think he's, um, and certainly his price tag when he went to Paris Saint-Germain, I don't think he's anywhere near that good a player. And I think once he's been in the elevated levels of football, I think he's been found out a lot. I've never been impressed with him the times I've seen him for Paris Saint-Germain. I feel a little little bit sorry for him in the fact that um, Ibrahimovic is the main man at PSG, isn't he? Mm -hmm. So Ibrahimovic is always going to play from the middle. And Cavani, quite uncomplainingly, sort of has to play around the outside of that, doesn't he? He's on the periphery of that. And True, but he plays a similar role for Uruguay, and so it's not alien to him. You know, he's always been second fiddle to Suarez in, U- in the Uruguayan team, and they they often play, I think, sort of a three-man front line, or have done for a long time with him, Suarez, and Forlan. And he's always been the one who's played, let's say, on the left-hand side of that. He's kind of, he's not in Ibrahimovic's sort of inner circle, is he? So there's supposedly beef between the two of them, so he's got to play... That's a circle of one, though, surely... Oh, do you think? Um, no, he's got Maxwell, at least uh, one of his best friends there, isn't he, Ibrahimovic? And he's got a few others there as well. There's the scene the other week where they walked through the mix zone, the PSG players did. Um, and Ibrahimovic, like some kind of mother duck, was ahead of all the others. Mm. And um, he said to as they're walking through by all these journalists, he sort of said to others, don't talk to anybody. And, you know, they were sort of bowedly, neatly bowed their heads and carried on walking through. Mm. So, yeah, that's... I don't think that's any good for any football team. No. To have such a gross ego dominate everything. You know, you've got Ronaldo is probably the prime example of that at Real Madrid. Um, and, he, you know, he's got the ability to carry it off. Ibrahimovic has to a, to a great degree as well. But I, I think in the grand scheme of things, I think that that, that will have more detrimental effect than positive. I've never quite got the cult of personality about Ibrahimovic. Um, he's a very, very good player, obviously. I've read his book, and my opinion of him actually worsened after they were reading his book. I tend to find that with everybody's autobiography. Sorry? I usually find that with anybody's autobiography that I've ever read. Do you? I do, yeah. Uh, Fergie went up, in my opinion, after I read his first one. Not so much the second one. Mm. Um... The best candidate for that for me is not a footballer, it was Frank Skinner. Who I absolutely love Frank Skinner for 20 odd years, but, you know, my estimation, my estimation of him went down a bit after I read his autobiography a few years ago, so. Oh, really? Hmm? Why was that? Because I like Frank Skinner as well. Yeah, I just, he just came across as way too cocky, which I didn't think he would. Um, you know, you know, he's very honest about, you know, all his mistakes in his life and being an alcoholic and everything else, but um he just came across as way too up himself in his book. But being a celebrity and rich and everything else, it's probably hard not to be up yourself to some degree. He wasn't as down to earth and as you know, as common, regular, everyday bloke as I was hoping him to be. Maybe I was putting too much expectation on that. So yeah, I just felt that that, that was the one that let me... He was the person who let me down the most having read that book. I started going off him when he did that thing on... Um, remember his chat show? And he interviewed... Uh, 
What's his name? Matthew Kelly. Mm. Did you ever see that? Oh, yeah. It was tough watching, wasn't it? That was car crash wasn't it? That was car crash telly at its very best, though. Yeah. Um, yeah, so PSG deservedly, uh, sorry, Barcelona deservedly into the next round. They, they were pretty comprehensive. Um, last night we had, uh, Monaco nil Juventus enough. Now, if I told you that, uh, the most interesting thing about this game was that Carlos Tevez was sick two hours before him. That probably tells you how interesting this game was. Mm, sounds it. Mm. Uh, even Patrice Evra said so. He said, we qualified the Italian style. It's ugly, but it's solid and it's efficient. Um, each team had one shot on target each in the 90 minutes, but Juve don't care. It's the first time they've been to a semi since 2003 when they lost that shootout to Milan at Old Trafford. Uh, and the first Italian team into the semi for five years since anyone remember? Let's take a punt. Inter? Yeah, that was that treble team with Jose managing. Um, so yeah, I, I quite like Juve being back. They were always my team of choice in Gazetta Football Italia. <laughs> Aye, they've had their ups and downs over the last decade or so, but you know they're, they're a big European name. Always been a big, going back right to the days of the 80s of Platini and Rossi and Shirea and uh, Dino Zoff and all those guys. So it's good to see, it's good to see an Italian team as well make it deep into the, to the competition because again, I've always, I grew up with Italian teams in Serie A being probably the best league in the world mm. for a long period of time. So I think it's good to see at least somebody else getting, getting that far into the competition. Yeah, definitely. Um, and also last night we had Real Madrid 1, uh, Atletico Madrid 0. Um, Chicharito Hernandez with the winner in the 88th minute. Uh, Real Madrid did this without Modric and Bale. Um, perceived wisdom seems to be that the turning point for this was the Arda Turan red card as he was doing a man-marking job on Ronaldo and doing it quite well up to that point. Is that fair enough, Mark? Um, I would say so, although it, it wasn't, it wasn't like that he got sent off and then all of a sudden it was a full-on cavalry charge by Real Madrid to, to get the goal. Atletico Madrid are the type of team who, who probably train every single session 10 versus 11 so they can def- with their defensive strategy. And they're brilliant at it. And, and I think a lot of criticism has come their way today that they were too defensive in the early part of the game um, because they're better than that. But uh, they just didn't lack in. They didn't have any, um, any thrust, any drive from either the wide areas or 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 up front. I mean, Mandzukic isn't really that type of player, but um, I think they I think they were set up to go to extra time at least, um, and it showed. And then they didn't they didn't change gear. Real Madrid struggled in parts. Uh, Ronaldo wasn't really on on his game apart from when he created the goal. Uh, Hernandez missed two or three chances, but they weren't really at their best either. So, but they did have. A different gear to go into in a couple of spells in the game. Arda Sharan, when he realised he was going to get that second yellow, that was a sight, wasn't it? Well, you know, I mean, listen, I tweeted last night that the two biggest clowns I've ever seen in football, or two of the biggest clowns I've ever seen, are Pepe and Sergio Ramos. Uh, Sergio Ramos, and and Ramos's reaction is what got Turan sent off. It wasn't necessarily the foul because it was one of those where both players had their foot up high to try and get the ball. I think Ramos got there first. Um, Turan kicked the bottom of Ramos's boot, and of course he went down like in the final scenes of Platoon when Charlie Sheen cops it, you know, and, and screaming his head off 
like his legs been blown off. But in was fact, it, it was there was a lot in it. Was it like that old game? Because you're quite fearful of these matches normally turning into some kind of pantomime. Well, the the big games in Spain usually are, aren't they? But they usually tend to tick over, sort of bubbling under the surface, and they get to the last twenty minutes, and then they all start um, poncing about and and faking injury left, right, and centre. And it actually didn't kick off that badly last night, which was a complete shock. Did you see Ronaldo in the warm up? No, pre-match he was practicing in the warm up pre-match, and um, uh, well, it is shot past the goal into the face of some poor child. Child bursts into tears. Ronaldo winces and realizes that the boy might be upset, so he goes and gives him a shirt. It's all right. Very nice, wasn't it? The boy didn't even look actually that happy about it. He looked quite. He still looked quite in pain about it. Mm-hmm. Maybe he was hoping for somebody else's. I don't know. Um, did you see what Thierry Henry said about Hernandez? Yeah, Thierry Henry, he, he was being a bit of a knob, really. He saying said that, that, saying that Hernandez shouldn't have celebrated on his own. He should have gone and basically licked Ronaldo's boots for playing a square ball to him for the goal. Yeah, Hernandez had a tough time in Madrid. It was a big game. He's, he's gone up front. He's tried his heart out and he scored the winner with three minutes to go. And Thierry Henry saying, you know, you, you should be the one going over to Ronaldo and, and basically bowing and scraping at his feet and to, to, to thank him and, and praise him and everything else, you know. I don't, he, know it's on, I don't know what planet Henri's on, to be honest. He also said he shouldn't have run off to celebrate a tap-in like he'd won the World Cup. Uh, and as various people pointed out on Twitter, this is the same Thierry Henry who handballed and tapped in mm. uh, and then ran off to celebrate like he'd won the World Cup. Our mm. very own, sometimes at his parish, Paul from the Rankcast made it onto the Eurosport website today saying uh, possibly genuinely the most stupidest thing a pundit has ever said when they know they're on TV. Yeah, he's done himself no favours. I think there was a lot of scepticism when Sky uh, had the big fanfare and heralded him as like some sort of punditry god when they employed him a few months ago on ridiculous amounts of money per year. And I think I don't think he's um, I don't think he's won anybody over in the in the build up to last night's comment. And I think he's probably lost even more credibility very quick. You know, and he's making Jeremy Carragher look good. Jeremy Carragher is good. Not that I don't think Jamie Carragher is good, but he's actually making Jamie, uh, Jamie Carragher look even better than he should, really. The worst thing I've ever seen anybody say about Jamie Carragher is that um, when he speaks, only dogs can hear him. <laughs> uh, some bad news for English clubs in the Premier League, uh, in the Champions League next year. Um, UEFA are introducing new regulations for... Next season's Champions League, the eight top seeds will be the champions from Europe, top seven sides, plus the competition's current holders as well. Um, previously, the seed teams are seeded by UEFA rankings, so you could have had a situation where uh, Manchester United, Chelsea, Arsenal all avoided each other. Um, but you won't get that next season. You could have English teams playing each other in the group stage. Uh, what do both of you think to that idea? Are you happy with it or nonplussed or, or it's a bad idea? Well, it, it sort of follows the the World Cup draw model, doesn't it? Where you're essentially putting teams into different pots, aren't you? So mm. your, your pote is the, the ones who won the the local leagues. Um, I don't see too much of a problem with it, to be honest. No, I don't have too much of a problem with it either. What do you reckon? What are you all right with it? Or yeah, I'm the same. Um, I, I don't have a problem at all with it. I think uh, I think it's going to make a lot more. It's got the potential to make a lot more interest in the group stages when I think it's become quite unappealing to many people now. 
because you get the same 60 or probably the same 12 to 16 teams getting through almost every single year um, without fail. And you get the odd small team getting into the group stages and then failing there because they don't really have a chance. Well, it'd be nice to see to see one or two groups of death, let's say, and then some of the smaller clubs from around Europe getting through to the knockout stages. Um, again, a bit like the old days when, you know, you could you could have the champions of England and the champions of Italy drawn against each other in one of the early rounds when it was when it was just knockout. So yeah, yeah I, I, I've got no got no problem with it at all. Oh, good. Um, two groups of people who will be kept apart are any Russian and Ukrainian clubs that um, qualify for the semi-finals of the Europa League. Mm-hmm. Uh, quite obviously, they're going to be kept apart. UEFA have said probably a wise idea. It's, but is that fair? I mean, so you can only keep them separated for so long. I mean, if if they both qualify and mm. make it through to the, you know, the head-to-heads, then they're going to have to play each other then. Yes, but it, there's a slight situation of war going on between the two countries. I mean, where where would you play the games? Would you play them somewhere like Poland or uh, Belarus or somewhere like that, or would you have them in the? Um, it they'd would be prob- sorry. They'd probably be somewhere like Cyprus, you yeah. know, somewhere very very neutral. You know, no, nowhere in Eastern Europe would be particularly neutral to the situation. So, I mean. Again, they're going to be kept apart in the semi-final, but the final is in Warsaw, right? Mm. So, you know, if if a Ukrainian team and a Russian team are get to get to the final in Poland, you know, there's there's potential for for trouble. Yeah, you can um, you can say that you know war is separate to politics and all this, or the sport is separate to politics, but I wouldn't fancy my chances of being a policeman with one set of Ukrainian ultras one side and Russian ultras the other. Mm. Uh, doesn't sound very much fun at all. Um, other bits of positive news: uh, Brazilian Zé Maria. Do you remember him as a player? Anybody? There's been a few. I think it's the most recent. He looked quite young on his photo. Right. Uh, he's been sat by a remaining club. Now you have to forgive my pronunciation. I'm going to be a bit French police on this. This is uh, Chelal Piatra Niemt. I think is how the locals say it. Uh, not he's been sat by them once. He's been sat by them twice this week. He was sacked. Uh, the owner gave them a second chance, a reprieve, so him and the coaching staff came back again. Um, they probably went and lost 2-0 the following day, so he was sacked again. And in 27 games, the club have gone through four coaches this season. Sounds like the place to be. Yeah. Oh, well, I don't know. Imagine the payoff you get. Imagine turning up on a two-year contract and then getting I'm sacked. Not sure, I'm not sure a payoff... From Nuncle Pukajil Fatoomsh or whatever their name was, is going to be particularly lucrative. Just a lot of potatoes. And uh, a donkey. Yeah, maybe you're right. Well, it depends what, if you're into donkeys or not. I support Everton, so I've been into donkeys most of my life. <laughs> uh, Ex Barcelona defender Gabriel Melito has been handed his first coaching job. He's uh, a Estudiantes. Um, Juan Sebastian Verón is in the hierarchy of Estudiantes, isn't he? Mm. Maybe they could both get a game still. He was playing until quite recently, I think, Verón. He was, wasn't he? Uh, have, you he- have you heard um, the song Estudiantes by um, Frank Sidebottom? <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, it's bound to be good, though, if it's Frank Sidebottom. 
I'll tell you what, we'll, we'll, we'll try and include it as a clip, maybe at the, the end of this podcast. Play it out. Yeah, it out. It, it, it's, it's, it's worth a listen. It's, it's, it tickled me. One for the teenagers. Uh, one for all the family. <laughs> um, a six-year-old applied for the Aston Villa job, apparently, uh, at the same time as Tim Sherwood. Tim Sherwood, rather luckily, probably, in hindsight, in a year or so's time, you might say, uh, he got the job. The six-year-old boy demanded uh, WWF figures and Haribo sweets as wages and Twixes as a win bonus, and he wanted his parents as assistants as well. Uh, Colin, you were talking about this one, weren't you? Yeah, I mean, as, as you say, Aston Villa contacted him and said that he'd just been pipped at a post by Tim Sherwood. Um, and in Tim Sherwood's uh, press conference, they they were talking about this guy and he, he mentioned the Twixers and the lad sent in um, a pack of Twixers to Tim Sherwood, which Tim unveiled at the press conference um, which was his win bonus for being Tottenham and I, and I just think it's great it's it's just a, a fun story I can imagine it being a close run thing between the two of them though. well possibly yeah uh, but I mean I, I don't know about you I don't know what you guys think but um, Tim Sherwood gets quite a bit of love on the Sunday podcast, especially from myself and Greg. He doesn't um, get an awful lot on the Thursday one. I, I'm, I'm sensing that. Um, <laughs> I, I think he's done extremely well. Um, and, yeah, I I rate him. I think he could do well. How do you rate him? What, as a football manager? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. How, um, uh, how well do you rate Paul Lambert? Higher than Tim Sherwood. Really? Yeah. Well, 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 how can you, you make that justification then with, with what Paul Lambert's done to an Aston Villa team, which which now looks to be quite half-decent, and Tim Sherwood's had very little time to turn it around. He's done exactly that. Um, and, a, and a team that hasn't won a trophy since 1986... Which was the League Cup is is now in the final of the FA Cup. Uh, not entirely. I mean, he sort of took over halfway through that cup run. Um, he's got an owner there that doesn't want any part of the um, any part of Aston Villa anymore. He wants to sell, and Lambert had to deal with that for a lot longer than Tim Sherwood has. Um, Tim Sherwood's probably been war- uh, Paul Lambert's been worn down quite a bit by that. There's always a uh, a resurgence of a club once a new manager comes in and sort of inspires teams somehow to carry on. But you saw this with Spurs last season. You know, um, Benteke is last season's added by all. You kind of saw a little jump in performance when Sherwood came in and then the regress to the mean. I don't think in any way whatsoever is he um, long... In 20 years' time, he won't be a football manager. In 20 years' time, Paul Lambert, I think, could still be a football manager. I think he's been a lucky villa and I think he's um, destined for better things than Tim Sherwood in his career. Well, the the proof of the pudding is in the eating, isn't it? We'll see. But all I will say is that you can only judge him on his on his ratios, and they're jolly good. And uh, Villa were finished; they were getting relegated before he came in. 
I mean, don't forget what Lambert did at um, Colchester and Norwich as well. Oh, I, I hear this game. The drum getting banged on about Paul Lambert, and and yes, his record did seem impressive. But being a Leeds fan who who was sort of competing against Norwich at the time in the lower leagues, I I never really really saw it in Paul Lambert. Um, so I don't know. We'll we'll see what happens. But I don't rate Paul Lambert as a half decent Premier League manager, to be honest. I think he'll struggle to get a Premier League job next season. Mark, when Roberto Martinez gets sacked in the summer, who do you want rocking up at your place, Tim Sherwood or Paul Lambert? We've had this discussion before. Robert, uh, Roberto Martinez will not get sacked by Evan under right. any circumstances. Hypothetically, if he does then. Um, hypothetically, uh, I don't know. Honestly, don't know. You think they might be as bad as each other? Between between Sherwood and Lambert, yeah. You see, I could see, I could have seen Steve, uh, Stephen Lambert, Paul Lambert going to, to um, going to Everton when if Moyes had left maybe a year or two earlier, I could have seen that happening. Mm. I think he would have been a good fit. I do, I, I do rate him higher than Colin does, um, but I think he'd be tainted by his Aston Villa job. So his his next job, wherever that might be, is going to be crucial to his career and where that goes. Um, Sherwood, yeah, he had, as, exactly like you said, he had a good impact immediately at Spurs, then it kind of tailed off a bit. He's had a good impact immediately at Aston Villa. I would expect that to, to go down a bit because if he would have to be an amazing manager to, 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 to really turn it around with that group of Aston Villa players. Mm. I think he's come in just at the right time and got just the right, the right amount of points and um, you know, fair enough. He's done well to get them to this point in the to get to the FA Cup final. I think, I think um, Villa might re- they'll revert to type next season, finish lower lower mid table. Perhaps they'll be around the relegation zone. Who knows? I don't think Sherwood is a great manager. I think he'd be one of those who could win five games in a row and then lose five games in a row. All I'll say is this, is that the last game was against Liverpool. Liverpool are a good team. They've got the better players than Villa. Villa were by far the better side. The game before that was against Spurs. Again, Spurs have got the better players. Villa beat them. I think to some degree in those two games, he got, let's say, a wee bit lucky that he came up against a Tottenham side who perhaps... They perhaps they see the Champions League disappearing over the horizon a little bit, and don't want to take the poison chalice of the Europa League. Perhaps, True. and I think Liverpool look very jaded against Aston Villa on Saturday. And again, Liverpool look like they perhaps yes, they've got good players. Correct, they lacked a focus point up front. If they'd had Ben Teke, for example, I think Liverpool would have won. But I think Liverpool look jaded, and they also look like. They've come to the end of the good spell they've had since Christmas. They they look like a team who who might peter out a bit now for the rest of the season. So I think in that respect he got a little bit lucky. But you're right. I think he's put a lot, lot more energy and a lot more um, direction in that team from where they were when Lambert left and the preceding few months. Okay. Um, other bits and bobs we've got. Uh, Emir Spahic has been banned for three months and fined twenty thousand euros for fighting with stadium stewards. Um, did you see, anybody see this one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
Uh, he punched and kicked a Bayer Leverkusen steward. He's a Bayer, well, was a Bayer Leverkusen player. He's trying to get some friends sort of backstage, as it were. Uh, he was immediately released by the club. Um, and that is pretty appalling to see if you're into that sort of thing, but you can go find it on the, on the YouTube. But he's, uh, he's no longer a Bayer Leverkusen player. Um, John Henderson has signed a five-year, £100,000 a week deal for Liverpool. Uh, West Ham are reducing their season ticket prices for next season in the wake of this season, a TV deal that's going to kick in the season after next. Um, West Ham's cheapest adult season ticket will then cost £289, down from £620. Uh, all season tickets will be £99 for under-16s. I su- yeah, I assume that every taxpayer that's paid for West Ham Stadium will get a reduction on their ticket price when we go to go and watch them, yeah? Uh, was that paid out of council tax, Londoners council tax, or does that come from central government? Well... I, I know what you're saying, because Manchester City fans had this, didn't they, when the Etihad opened from the United fans? Uh, it's just uh, a very... It's fallen into, not fallen into West Ham's laps, essentially, because they've had to fight for it, but um, it's certainly not going to hinder them for the, for the near future, is it? Having a, a brand new free stadium where they can afford to drop the ticket prices and increase their earning capabilities and everything else. No, and Paul Leighton Orient next door as well. Yeah, uh, you know, Barry Hearns obviously, uh, I imagine he's still um, raging about that. Yeah, I can imagine he is. West Ham are paying rent on the stadium though. Fair, fair enough, it's not a lot. I think it's about a million pounds a year, isn't it? They must make that in their gate receipts every yeah. every week, wasn't they? Yeah, yeah, they'll more than cover that without any without any problem. And again, think about the the new um, TV deal. You know, a million pounds is a drop in the ocean. You know, if whoever whoever they're renting it from surely would have had the foresight to to know that this mega TV deal was coming when they set the rent charges and said, "Look, you want the stadium? It's going to be five million a year." Mm. And then if it is going back into the public purse, the public are the ones who benefit from West Ham getting um, a, a public facility for next to nothing. Mm. Exactly. It's a little bit. Well, it's, a, it's an awful lot unfair, isn't it? And this is the sort of thing that's been, um, like I say, sort of aimed at Manchester City fans, and then of course you've got Real Madrid as well with their training complex, haven't you? I, I disagree with that. Why, why is it unfair? What, what you because... get, that, that stadium's going to fall into disrepute. No, nothing's going to happen to it. It's just going to become a white elephant. Something's well, got to be done with it. You're going to have Premier League football played in it. It's going to be used a lot. So you're making use of something that otherwise would just turn into nothing. And don't tell me that athletics is going to fill that place out and keep it running because it just isn't. But the debate is that West Ham have now become almost a, a government subsidised Premier League team, just like Manchester City, which is by yeah, far yeah, exactly. possibly yeah, one yeah, of the richest yeah, no, clubs no, no. in the league. Yeah, that, that's I, I completely agree that it wasn't fair. Or it wasn't. Uh, it, it doesn't help Everton, for example. Just perfect example. We can't. We can't fight. The government has twisted and turned, and the local authorities have twisted and turned to stand in Everton's way to try and find find um, a new site for a new ground or the uh, the possibility of upgrading Goodison Park. And Everton, even if and we can't find the money, we can't find investors to do it. So we're stuck in a stadium that half of it is almost a hundred years old. But Manchester City and West Ham are essentially gifted, gift-wrapped, brand-new, state-of-the-art facilities. Would West Ham have been able to get that stadium? 
and, and it, basically that stadium and the, the fact that Manchester City didn't have to go into debt for it has, has, has facilitated what came after that with with the um, the Arabs coming in and 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 flattening out the the small the fifty million pound debt Manchester City were in or whatever that was with the facilities it made it a lot more of an attractive proposition. If Everton have to go another two hundred million pound in debt to get a new stadium to go on top of the fifty million pound debt or whatever they've got right now, which which set of investors are going to come in and fork out all the money to clear the debt that's already there and the money to stump up for a new stadium? And then expect to buy two hundred million pounds worth of players to compete in the Premier League. Plus, it's not even in the, the borough of West Ham, is it? I mean, it's, it's really it's in Leighton Orient's backyard. They should have, as, as fanciful as it seems, to give Leighton Orient a stadium like that. I mean, that could put that club out of business. The fact that West Ham are next door to them. It, mm. whether, whether you think it's fair or unfair, West Ham are not going to feel, uh, and are not going to have uh, a negative future based on what's happening by going to to the Olympic Stadium no the problem is in five years time nobody will remember there'll be a few but it'll just be automatically assumed that the Olympic Stadium is where they play at you know but in terms of of ground ownership by the way I'm a Leeds fan for my sins and, and our ground is owned by people who live in tax havens that can't be identified Possibly Ken Bates, but um, I didn't say that. But anyway, um, and then Leeds pay something ridiculous, like two million quid a, a year in rent. Um, but the local council, Leeds City Council, has been very keen to, if the right people were in charge of Leeds, which of course isn't the case at the moment and might never be, but if they were, they would be keen to buy Ellen Road and then rent it back to. Leeds United and the way it would work is that the local council would take out a big mortgage on the stadium a club like Leeds United has to play at Ellen Road, it's got nowhere else to play um, and Leeds would pay a rent something like a million pounds a year that would pay the mortgage fees um, so the council would never be out of pocket as long as Leeds United still exist um, and Leeds would sign up to like a contract for like 99 years or something where they say yeah we'll pay a million pounds a year 20 years down the line that that mortgage will have been cleared and everything else goes into the local council's coffers I mean it, it's a, it hasn't happened but it's something that Leeds, have, Leeds City Council have dabbled with and maybe that's a thought moving forwards that local councils could help fund some stadiums I don't know what your thoughts are on that Mm. I'm, uh, I'm not sure because at the end of the day, these are these aren't public bodies; they're private entities and private businesses, aren't they? What? Why should a local authority uh, pay for a football club to have a stadium? Because they're they're, they're they're not; they're just basically being the 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 owners of a property, and and the football club is just renting. So that so rather than a football club, a private entity actually having that land they, they don't have it at all they just pay the rent um, a bit like what a lot of people do with rent to buy to rent and all, all that sort of good stuff mm. um, but on a f- football equivalent yeah I think I think obviously these days um, local authorities don't have the money to splash around on frivolous adventures of getting involved in a football club and I also think a lot of people would, would 
react pretty badly to the idea of their local council being involved in the, in the murky financial world of any football club. You know, Leeds being a perfect example of that, I think. But um, it, it, these things are never never work out as straightforward as West York, uh, Leeds Council or whatever own Ellen Road and then they simply rent it to Leeds United Football Club. I think it would be a lot more complicated than that. And I think, I don't, I don't see it ever happening. As Chris said, I think um, most people wouldn't, re- if they really thought about it, they wouldn't want their local authorities getting mixed up in private ventures, first of all. And secondly, the murky world of football finance, because that really only works out for about 5% of the clubs. I say that as a local government employee as well. <laughs> I, can, hmm. I can just imagine the uproar if uh, something like that happened. There, there's other different ways of doing it as well. There's So, for example, um, where I'm from, I'm uh, from a place called Osset, and um, there's actually a club that actually does quite well for itself, considering the size of the town, called Osset Town. And um, the ground's actually been bought by Tesco. Um, it, it's a reasonably sized town, uh, but the reason they've bought it is so that no one else can build a supermarket there. You know, to, to prevent someone like Asda coming in or Morrison's coming in in, in West Yorkshire and, and building one there, which because there's a massive demand for a, a big supermarket being built somewhere. And, of course, potentially at some point, Tesco could say, right, we're, we're going to build the supermarket here now because it's got quite a, lot, a large amount of ground. Um, but at the moment, they've bought it and let the team play on it for a nominal fee, just so that no one else can can buy the land off them. Mm. Okay. Um, it's not going to be an easy solution, whatever, uh, unfortunately, but I think a lot of people will be, especially in the London area, will be embittered by what's happening with West Ham Spurs fans, especially. Um, other bits and bobs, we've got the section Newcastle supporters are planning to protest outside Sports Direct stores and their latest action against the club's owner. John Carver has said today that the um, uh, the fans' protest last week at the game did upset some of the players. At least this is a case of supporters taking some kind of direct action rather than just moaning and throwing their season tickets away in the last game of the season. Uh, Mark Housie has been critical of the appointment of John Moss as the cup final referee. He thinks that this is quote-unquote political uh, I imagine that John Moss would feel a little sheepish that he doesn't really deserve it and Mark Clattenburg does. I know certain people don't want Mark refereeing in the European Championships. It's quite obvious they want Martin Atkinson to go ahead of Mark Clattenburg. Um, has he got a point at all? You were saying beforehand, Mark, you're not a, queer, a big fan of uh, Mark Clattenburg. I've probably let slip on this podcast before, but I, I used to know Mark Clattenburg once upon a time, um, before he was a referee. Oh, here we go. Um, yeah, yeah, I did. Um, but, um, no, I don't rate him as a referee at all. He's, uh, he crapped on Everton Big Style one time. And, um, I think, it, sadly, to, to say that he's the best English referee might not be far off the mark, but I think that's indicative of how poor English referees are at the top, well, at all levels, but at the top level where they're supposed to be professional, and they earn very good money, um, and he's he's in the Champions League now. He's in he's doing internationals and so on and so on. Um, but you don't. It's never been the case that you've always placed the same referee or what quote unquote the best referee in charge of the FA Cup final. It's always gone to different referees. And okay, Mo, John Moss isn't a good ref at all. But you can't just have the same fellow refereeing the cup final every single time. Um, but I think Halsey 
again, I respect the guy. I thought he was a good ref in his day. But he's, um, since he's in the media now and he's got a certain bit of credence that he, he comes out and actually has an opinion, whether you agree with it or not, I think there's a lot of, um, he's trying to make way in the media world. Uh, and I think he's quite happy to give his opinion by criticizing his former employees, which may, which is a good thing because you, you want to hear that, that not all referees are robots and they agree with everything that they're, they're told and they're brainwashed into thinking a certain way. Um, but for that reason, I kind of take what he says as a little bit with a pinch of salt for the reason why he's saying it. I don't necessarily think he's been genuine with a lot of the things that he puts out on Twitter or um, in different columns that he's got. Mm. I, I'll stick up a little bit for Klattenberg. I mean, I've seen some of his performances before and, and they've been bad, but I think he's got a lot better recently. Um and as a fan of a championship side, what normally happens is when you get sort of two big teams together, all of a sudden the really shit refs that you get in the football league, and they are really bad, um, it's they're sort of all of a sudden put to one side and they pluck a Premier League ref out um, and let them ref your game. And you really do see a difference. Um, and the last couple of games I've seen Clattenburg referee a, a Leeds United match, he's, he's actually been very good. Um, but I, I also agree with what you're saying, Mark. Um, maybe it's just a case of Housey trying to make a bit of a name for himself. I quite like Plattenberg, actually. I think Michael Oliver's actually better than he is. Yeah, he's got no chin, though, is he? <laughs> he's also from Ashton, that's why he's got no chin. Oh, really? It's a genetic thing. <laughs> <laughs> Family trees are stump, that sort of thing. Yeah. Fair enough. Uh, right, let's go through some rumours, see if any of you are uh, yay or nay with this one. Um, Branislav Ivanovic to Bayern Munich, yes or no, both of you? No. No. Yaya Torre to PSG or Inter? Yes. P- PSG, possibly, yeah. Uh, I think Inter. Yeah, I think Inter as well with Mancini. Uh, Hugo Lloris to replace David De Gea at United. Lloris was meant to be going to PSG, wasn't he, last summer? And that's why Tottenham bought Vorm. Yeah, it, did, it didn't come off for whatever. I think probably Tottenham were asking too much money or they backed out at the last minute. But I I would be surprised if he is at Tottenham next season. Well, Surigu's done all right at, um, at PSG, isn't he? But you can imagine Lloris there as well. Yeah, French oh, champions, French national keeper, top goalkeeper... Again, whether it's Man United or PSG, I don't see him at Tottenham next season. No, I don't either. What do you reckon, Colin? Uh, I mean, where, where, where's David De Gea going? He's Real Madrid. Real Madrid. Real Madrid. It's the, the it's been sort of reported that that's practically done, isn't it? Yeah, he's homesick, isn't he? If he's going to go, then I think yeah, it could happen, but it's it's going to have to have its price. So I don't think Manchester United are going to make much out of the deal of getting rid of De Gea and bringing in Lloris. I reckon Daniel Levy will make sure he gets his uh, a good cut out of that deal. OK. Uh, Victor Anyama to Arsenal. Yeah. I think... Um... I think that would be a good signing for Arsenal. He's not a great, he's not a great footballer technically, but I think he's, um, 
he's a very solid player. I, I've always been impressed with him when he played for Celtic, and so I think he makes Celtic play better. I think he makes Southampton play better, plays better. So I wouldn't be surprised if both him and Schneiderlin ended up at Arsenal. Okay, uh, and Jay Rodriguez, who hasn't played since last April, to Spurs or Man City for twenty million. He's got Spurs written all over him, isn't he? Who's who's going to pay twenty million pounds for a player who's not played in twelve months and may never be the same again after such an injury? Liverpool. There you go. That's where he's off to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, a couple of managerial ones. Um, Benitez to Man City. Uh, Sabella's been linked with the, with Sao Paulo, which is what we were about last week, wasn't it, Sabella? Um, Benitez definitely won't be going to Sampdoria after the owner Massimo Ferro says that he's too fat and needs to see a dietitian. Uh, so can we see Benitez at Man City? It gets mentioned a bit, doesn't it? Yeah, I think, uh, although he might enjoy his time at Napoli, I don't know how much further he can take them. Mm. Um, you know, they're a, getting into the Champions League team, they're doing well in the Europa League, but it's not the mega job that someone like Benitez wants to succeed in. So I, I, can, I can see it happening. He really wants Real Madrid, doesn't he? Yeah, I don't think that's going to happen, though. No, I don't think it's going to happen either. Um, Klopp's gone a little bit quiet to Liverpool, isn't it? That's a bit worrying. Mm. Uh, and one you were about earlier on, Colin, Steve McLaren to Newcastle, whether Derby go up or not. Well, it seems to be a done deal. If, if you look at the bookies, they're saying he's 8-1 uh, to one on. So, the, the second favourite is 10-1, to one, by the way, so they think it's pretty much a done deal. Um and yeah, I was chatting to a friend today who, who normally gets their bets pretty much spot on and uh, he reckons it's going to happen, irrespective yeah. of whether Derby get promoted or not. Okay. We, we, it, that could be chaos, couldn't it, with the Newcastle fans? You know, I mean, I can completely understand why he's going to take the job because I do think he likes a little bit of the cash um, and he would like to be at a, you know, a big club. Um but you could very quickly see the wheels spinning off that as as soon as Ashley has his way and players get sold and it's, he doesn't get the control that he, he, he would want. It's not a rumour that's been like absolutely awash in the North East, so I'm not exactly sure that it's that it's that nailed on. And there's been plenty of times when you hear about ex manager results on to be the next manager of a different club and then within twenty four, forty eight hours it spins around and somebody else is the favourite. Now, I mean, the, the prices you quoted seem to make you think that it's absolutely nailed on. But like I said, it's not something that is the talk of the tune, uh, Steve McLaren. Maybe that's just through a lack of um, excitement more than anything else. If he if he was their next appointment, but I, I'm not. I'm I'm not sure. It'd fit a little bit, wouldn't he? If you think about um, uh, Ashley and his um, his sort of. Moneyball kind of where you get these players and you coach, mm. you, you sort of sign them as unknowns from Europe and you coach them up and you sell them off for big profits. Plus you bring in your own youth players too. I mean, McLaren is more a coach than a manager, isn't he? I think he's a, he's a bit he's a better fit for Newcastle than Newcastle is for him. Yeah, because if he's got any sort of ambition to to do something, if he just wants cash and to manage a big club for a few years, then Newcastle's ideal for him. But I don't know if he you know he was bold enough to take the England job on. He was bold enough to go abroad when his career was essentially in tatters after the England job. 
So uh, if he's got more ambition about him, then he wouldn't go to Newcastle. Not in the way because nothing's going to change there while Mike Ashley's in charge. They're going to go along with their same ethos of surviving, making a profit, staying in the Premier League, and he doesn't give a damn at what the um, the fans think. And I don't see him clearing out anytime soon. No, me neither. Uh, just one thing there. I mean, Mark, you you were absolutely spot on with with betting on the manager betting syndicates. They are fixed. They are mm-hmm. fixed. And what you see is that um, bookies. It, it's not illegal, but it's you could say it's immoral. They they will people will put a few quid on a manager to just rise up the charts and, and become a favourite or a second favourite. And then they'll say to the local media, oh, by the way, did you know someone's put 500 quid on so-and-so? And mm. it completely changes their odds. And and the amount of times you see favourites going in and then favourites completely dropping out, you, you see it in every manager market betting. And if if you can nail it, and, I, and I've done this in the past with, with Aston Villa, um when everybody was said, uh, I think I think the bookies were trying to pretend that Bob Bradley was going to be the next manager after Martin O'Neill, because uh, Randy Lerner's an American and he, he was managing the, the US team at the time. Um, and I went to Betfair and I, I piled on and I laid it, and, and it took ages for Villa to make a decision, and I started to shit myself. I was like, oh god, um, and Bob Bradley never became the the manager and and I cleaned up but yeah it's really dodgy manager markets the the early stages of these manager markets too I assume that a lot of people say the manager of Newcastle gets the push people don't lump in in the same way that they lump onto a football game or they lump onto a horse race and they don't say right I'm going to have 100 quid on that I'm going to have 50 quid on that I'm going to have 500 quid each way on this or whatever they'll put a, they'll put a couple of quid on they go oh I don't know I, I fancy Peter Schmeichel being the next manager of Real Madrid you know just pluck something out of thin air you might put a quid on it and so the market's made up of small money and then you mentioned about the bookies other than let's slip oh somebody's had a £500 bet on uh, Benitez to be the next manager now, because the market is so small, then that bet, whether it's a, a real bet or a, a hooky bet that you know they put on with themselves, essentially, that twists the market up because their losses are going to be a certain way that they have to make that person suddenly go eight to one on because any more bets at a certain price are going to are actually going to take a, a reasonable amount of money off them. But certainly in the early stages of manager betting, forget it, only bet. Probably when it's when it's almost a done deal, because that's the only way you're going to make it. You make no money, but it's the only way you will make money in that market. Okay. Uh, right now we move on to uh, our Premier League predictions. Uh, each week we go through our uh, the, the forthcoming Premier League fixtures. We preview what we think will happen, whether we win, loss, or draw for a particular team. Uh, we mark it down, and every correct one we get, we get a point. And we also have our double points where we pick some random fixture from across the world somewhere. Uh, and should we correct, predict the actual correct score for that one, you get double points. Now, last week, uh, Mark, you've got a bumper week. You've got seven correct predictions. You're now at 125 points. Excellent. And points make pounds, yeah? Uh, yes. Uh, Colin, <laughs> Colin has said you'll get one pound for every uh, correct prediction you get. Not from me, you won't. I'm a Yorkshireman. 
No, I can, <laughs> tell, the, I can tell the wife we're going to eat this week. That's right, yeah. There will be uh, baloney for you this week. Uh, Emma got five correct predictions. She's three ahead of you and 128 correct predictions. I am lagging way behind again. Uh, I only got five right and I'm on 119 correct predictions. So, first of all, uh, we're sport for choice this week for our double points fixtures. Now, we, we could have gone for three, three different ways. We could have gone, it's the, uh, the Mostar derby in Bosnia with, uh, Velez versus Rinsky. Um, and there's also two derbies in Belgrade this weekend, but, We've gone for the Red Star uh, Partizan derby rather than the other one. Red, uh, Partizan are currently top on 56 points. Red Star currently second on 51 points. So what do you reckon, Mark? A small, quiet affair, isn't it, in this corner of Europe? I'm sure it'll pass off without any incident. Yeah, I think if you're one of these people that sort of feature on footy fooligans or fancy yourself as a bit of a hooligan or ultra of your particular team you support, just watch this fixture. The, the Serbian version of Danny Dyer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Watch this game and you realise you're nowhere near as passionate about your football team as you think you are. Uh, right, I'm going for 1-1. One, one. I've got no idea how good either team is, but if they're first and second in the league, it's a derby. Let's go for the uh, the default. Let's go for the 1-1 one, one draw. Red Star at home. Does that make any difference? Not to me. Nope. Okay. Uh... I'll go for two one red start. Mark, uh, Mark, Colin, have you got any advice for Evan before she sends her predictions in? Um, I have no particular favour for either side, so I'm going to be partisan, um, and I'll go for partisan both grade. Uh, what score? Two nil. Two nil win to partisan. Right. I'm going to do a little dividing in my sheet of paper here. So where Emma's is, I'm going to write a little C next to it. Oh, am I am I am I working on behalf of Emma here? No, 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 you're not. It's just oh. that you can you can join in this week if you want to. Emma's going to email me her predictions at another time, but you can join in here if you want to for this week. Count me in just for fun. Go on then. Uh, right, the other kick off this weekend is the uh, I presume this is the Pochettino derby. This is uh, Southampton versus Spurs. Uh, so you don't have to get the correct score for this one, just the correct result. Um, both teams, Saints lost 2-1 to Stoke last week. Spurs have won one in their last three. Uh, the Southampton have got the second best home defence. They've only let 10 goals in all season at home. Southampton always let me down. Just when you think they're, they're finished for the season, they rise back up again and get a win. Yeah, but Spurs are going to Herculean attempts, aren't they? Going not to mm. get the Europa League place. Mm. I reckon it'll be a draw. You get a draw. This is but, um, yeah, safety bet. Six be seventh, isn't it? What do you reckon, Colin? <sighs> it's this is tough. Um, I, you should be saying Southampton, but I'm I'm I'm, I'm seeing what Mark's saying here. I I think it could be a draw as well. Um, yeah, I'm going to go draw. You go for draw. All right. Um, I think I'm going to go for Southampton. I think. No idea why. Just think I will. Uh, I, th- I don't know. I, I kind of think that Spurs are on the beach a little bit. I think. I don't think that, like we say, they're that bothered about getting in a whole lot higher. They're just well, counting they down to the end of the season, aren't they? They won last week, but it was the it was the gimme of Newcastle. So yeah. That that shouldn't be taken into consideration. No, indeed. Uh, although I did predict a draw. 
this is a humdinger next. This is Burnley in 20th versus Leicester in 18th. City got three straight wins, scoring seven goals. Burnley have lost three out of four. Now, last earlier on this season, this fixture at the King Power, I think it finished 2-2. It's the week after Leicester beat United 5-3. And they were winning till Burnley got a injury time in injury time equaliser. And of course, Leicester went on that terrible run afterwards. Uh, where they didn't win for, for God knows how long. So, uh, what do people reckon for this one, Mark? You reckon that Leicester are going to carry on? I do for two reasons. First of all, Leicester are on this great run, and they and they look they're looking like they're going to score every week. And again, I've been impressed with them quite a lot at times this season. I saw Burnley play Everton last week, and the fight that I've seen in Burnley five or six games ago just seems to be having away from them. And they're in no form whatsoever. I think if Leicester win this, which I think they will, I'll go for Leicester, I think that's probably going to be the nail in Burnley's coffin. You think you're going to go for uh, Leicester? Yep. Um, I'm going to go for a draw on this one. I think it's going to be very cagey and both teams won't want to lose. So I'm going to go for a draw. Colin, what do you reckon? I think they're two pretty average sides. Um, I think the Burnley's problem has always been lack of goals so if you look at Leicester's last four games Leicester have scored two, three, two, three in the last four games so you've got to go with Leicester on this I think I think I don't think it'll be a route by Leicester but I think it could be something like 2-1 or 1-0 you're going for Leicester okay, okay. Uh, Crystal Palace versus in 11th place versus Hull in 17th now any goal difference is keeping Hull out of the bottom three um Palace lost to West Brom last week and that ended a run of four straight wins that they got but Hull uh, have lost four and drawn two of their last six mm, It's not looking good for Hull No, well who thinks that Selhurst Park is a fortress for Palace this season? Um, Everton have won there so therefore no <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Colin? Well, well it has been since Pardew arrived Palace have got the third worst home defence this season. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, there you go. Surprised me somewhat as well. I can't see Hull getting a point. I, 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 fear, I fear that they're going to be, along with Sunderland, they're going to actually fall into the drop zone sooner or later and possibly knock it out a bit. So I'm going to go for Palace to make amends for last week's defeat. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go for Crystal Palace as well. Uh, like I said, Hull are in free fall and their running is pretty awful. Um, they kind of look like dead men walking a little bit, don't they? Mm. So I'm going to go Palace as well. Colin, what do you reckon? I think uh, Pardew's got them set up so that they're, they're going to play right till the very end. They're not going to give up and you know pretend that they're on the beach. Um, so yeah, I'm going to go with Palace. You're going to go with Palace as well. Okay, uh, Swansea versus Newcastle. Right, someone make a case for Newcastle. Swansea are quite benign on the road. That's about as much as I can say in Newcastle's favour. Right. But I still think Swansea will win. You still think Swansea will win, will you? Okay. Um, I'm going to go for Swansea as well. I think I'll let my lesson from last week. Colin. Um, I think you've got to be a madman to bet on Newcastle. Um but Swansea aren't so hot either. I, I'd say a nil-nil, so I'd actually go a draw. You're going for a draw, are you? I'm going to go for a draw. It's a, 
you can't really bat Newcastle to to win or anything like that. But I, it's, it's at home. I'm just going to give him a little crumb of comfort and, and say a draw. Okay, so this is more a pity than anything else. If it was somebody a little bit more with something to play for, I, I would not be with Newcastle getting a draw. But it's Swansea; they're, 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 they've got nothing to play for. Okay, okay. Uh, QPR West Ham, the Rufus Brevet Derby, the Phil Parks Derby, the Phil Parks Derby. Yeah, uh, there must be others in this one as well. Hmm. Paul Goddard. Oh, you're such a hipster. <laughs> <laughs> uh, right, QPR. They they had that win and that draw, didn't they? Uh, and then they lost rather unluckily to Chelsea. Um, West Ham got one win in six. Although QPR got the worst defence in the league, they're letting fifty nine goals. Um, if you have Clint Hill, Richard Dunn, and Rio Ferdinand in your back line, you're going to leak goals. Mm. Although as much as I love Clint Hill, um, has this got draw written all over it? Two bad teams, or you reckon QPR can uh, get back on the straight and narrow their survival push? I'd give QPR a decent shout of staying up, actually, now. Yeah. If, if Hull and Sunderland continue to play the way that they're playing. And QPR have shown some promise in the last few games. West Ham, totally on the beach. Looks like Allardyce might be leaving in the summer, so the players probably aren't bothered about playing for him because there's going to be somebody new there soon enough. So um, I think I'll go for QPR. Well, QPR are 19th. They're two points behind Hull in the 17th, aren't they? So... A yeah, win and a, and a loss. Yeah. Sorry? I'll go QPR. You're going QPR. Okay. Uh, you talked me into it as well. So what are you going to go for, Colin? I would not touch QPR with a barge pole. They're finished. Um, so I'm going West Ham all the way. West Ham win. Okay. Uh, Stoke in ninth versus Sunderland in... Somehow, Sunderland is still in 16th place. As terrible as they are. Uh, after three straight losses, Stoke have had a win and a draw recently. Sunderland have lost four out of six and only scored 11 goals away from home all season. How is Sunderland not further down? I know. It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. Just shows you how bad the teams below them have been up to this point. Well, yeah. I mean, this is what we said a couple of weeks ago, wasn't it? You could quite easily take three or four teams out the top of the championship, swap them with the bottom of the Premier League, and they'd make a much better fist of it. I mean, at least Leicester have had a, a couple of spells of good form, for example. Yeah. Where they you know, hit two or three wins or a few, an unbeaten run of five games. I don't remember Sunderland ever having a spell like that in the season. So where have they got their points from? Oh, they, they did all right at the start of the season, didn't they? I mean, they got six from Newcastle, haven't they? Well, yeah, maybe that's what's going to keep them up. Did, you, thought- see, did you see during the, um, the Newcastle-Tottenham game? Somebody flew a uh, Sunderland banner over St James's Park and said five in a row because they beat them five times. They beat Newcastle five times in a row. Did they? They did, yeah. And, and all Newcastle fans were like, "You would think they would keep their heads down." The situation they're in at the minute. What did they do? Did they? They weren't very happy. No, they just thought that it's pretty sad, you know. Sunderland, Sunderland are trying to lord it over Newcastle, yet they're clinging on by their fingernails to Premier League survival. Oh, yeah. It wasn't the Albanian Prime Minister's uh, brother, was it? <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> uh, we could be in a situation again where the three teams that come up come down. I can remember that happening once before. That was back in the late 90s, wasn't it? Mm. It's not happened for a while, I think. 
No, I don't um, I'll, um, I'm going to go well again. Stoke, Stoke are like Southampton for me. Whatever they, whatever they do, they do the opposite. I can't predict Stoke at yeah. all. But I think Sunderland are pretty terrible. So I, I think Stoke have got to, they've got to win when I say they will at some point. So I'll go for Stoke. Okie dokie. Uh, I'm going to go for Stoke. I'm quite surprised by Sunderland because I thought they'd have some kind of positive effect when Africar came along, but they had nothing. Apart from that win against um, Newcastle. So I'm going to go Stoke as well. What do you reckon, Colin? Uh, Mark Hughes came out and said that Stoke were not going to give up and they were going to go right to the wire. Um, I think they proved that by beating Southampton in the last match. Um, it's at home. And as you guys have already said, Sunderland look a bit <sighs> abject, don't they? So um, I, I'd go with a Stoke win. You're going for a state win. Okay. Uh, West Brom and Charlton versus Liverpool. This was um, Brendan Rodgers' first ever game in charge. Remember that? They lost 3-0. Mm-hmm. Uh, Palace beat... or well, West Brom beat Palace 2-0 after three straight defeats last week. Liverpool beat Newcastle last time at the Premier League. But, of course, they had that, um, that, that unfortunate meeting with Villa in the Cup. West Brom have got the joint worst home defence in the league with Sunderland. 26 goals. I find that hard to believe for a Tony Pulis team. Did a lot of that not come in the early stage of the season? I was going to say, they must have took some schlackings earlier on in the season. I don't the last few times I've seen Liverpool, it seems to me that that, that good run of form they've been on has come to an end. I think they look, as I said before, I thought they looked jaded against Aston Villa and a little bit lacking in ideas and, and energy. Um, I saw them playing, saw them beat Newcastle before that. They've beaten 2-0 comfortably, but if they'd been up to their full, playing to their full potential, they would have won six or seven nil. So I think Liverpool might be coming to the end of their tether in terms of you know they're pushing on for a European place. But I think they'll want to prove themselves after losing last week, um, and maybe they maybe they'll squeeze out a win. You go for Liverpool. I'm going to go for West Brom. Because I reckon Pulis will be up for this one, I think. Uh, Colin, what do you reckon? Completely agree with Mark. I think this is going to be boom. This is going to be Liverpool big time. And I can see big numbers here. I can see something like a 4 yeah. 0 win. They're, they're going to want to bounce back, and this is where it's going to happen. West Brom are going to take an absolute tank in. Really? I think so. Okay, okay. We'll bear that one in mind. Uh, Man City. Aston Villa, uh, the Shade Given Derby? Mm-hmm. Definitely the Stuart Taylor Derby, after our conversation last <laughs> week about him. <laughs> uh, go on then, your man Sherwood then, Colin. Well, well, I'm, I'm, you're gonna, you're gonna mock me here, but I can sort of probably get away with this because I'm not actually in your competition for real. But, um, I'm gonna go with an Aston Villa win. Based on what? Based on Manchester City being dreadful, um, I think they're on the glass mountain. I think they've given up now. I think that Villa have got the impetus. Manchester City haven't. Um, I think it could be potentially good days for Liverpool because, as I said, they're going to tonk West Brom and they've got that game in hand. Um, yeah, it, it sounds silly, but I, I, I reckon... I don't reckon Manchester City going to win, so I reckon it's going to either be a draw or a Villa win. 
so crazy it might just work. I'll put so, you down for a villa win. I'm going to go for a villa win, yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, Mark, are you going to concur with that? Um, I can see where Colin's coming from, definitely. Um, and if Villa have got over their exertions and, you know, sucking up nit- uh, nitrous oxide out of balloons, which seems to be all the rage <laughs> for the kids these days, um, I do say, I, I, I kind of agree, but I'm not sure Villa will win, but I, I might go for a, a cheeky draw. A cheeky draw? Okay. Yeah. Um, I kind of, I, you, you kind of think, still think Man City, but I can see where you're coming from. Um, Benteke and the mood he's in will cause Mangala and company whoever else all sorts of problems so I'm going to go for a draw as well I can see that one happening uh, Everton versus Manchester United the should be Leighton Baines if he'd ever been ambitious derby the Fellaini derby the Wayne Rooney derby the John Gibbon derby Darren Gibson Mark Higgins I'm going back a few years now like so um, I don't know Everton, five games unbeaten, four wins and a draw. Not playing that great, though. Well, four out of five, aren't you? Yeah, but not, as I've said a few times, not playing great. But um, better than they were. So I think they'll raise their game for Manchester United. United have looked good recently. I know they got beat by Chelsea last week, but they played well enough to get something. Mm. Um, I think Everton, I hate to say it, but I think Everton might raise their game enough to get a point. And why I say I hate to say that is because they'll probably end up getting beat 5-0. <laughs> but I'll go for the, I'll go for the draw. You go for a draw. Okay. Of course, we've got to say the Steve Round derby as well. And David Moyes. Yeah. Phil Steve Neville. Round, Phil Neville. Steve Round in Tesco's yet? Uh, not yet. He'll get a good, he'll get a good job. He's, he's, he's done well. In a couple of jobs before United. Yeah, okay. Uh, I'm going to go to Manchester United. They seem quite imperious at the moment. I know they lost last week, but it was 70% possession stat, which I think is probably a deliberate tactic by Mourinho, but um, I'm going to go for United. What do you reckon, Colin? This is really awkward for me. This is tough because I, I really don't know, so I'm probably going to go for the draw, but I'm not 100% convinced by Manchester United yet. Why not? It's just not right. There's something just not right. They're getting results, but... And then the other thing is, you you can't deny Everton's form. They are winning games. They might win them ugly, but they're winning games. And it's it's at Goodison. So, because I can't put it any way, I I would go for a draw. Go for a draw as well, okay. Okay, uh... Big game of the weekend, then probably Arsenal versus Chelsea, the William Gallas derby. Um, are Chelsea going to employ similar tactics on Sunday that they employed at Anfield last year when they parked the bus and then just took the most of those two opportunities they had? I think they're a better team than that this year. They are, but it's what they do do though, isn't it? Yeah, they do it well. And Arsenal are in, okay, Arsenal are in good form, but they're not in as good form as Liverpool were in the game you're talking about last year. Mm. Um, and again, I'm gonna, until they do it, I'm gonna stick with my prediction that Chelsea won't drop another point this season. I think I've got, I think that's happened three weeks out of three they've won. 
since I said it, so I'm going to stick with Chelsea. Yeah. And also Mourinho's got the um, got the Indian sign over Arsene Wenger, hasn't he? I don't think Wenger's ever beaten him. No, I mean I don't think I think this is quite a personal game between the two of them, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, they despise each other. Yeah, definitely. See the Arsenal fan this week demanding um, that the club remove the poster of Cesc Fabregas down from the Emirates because he joined Chelsea. Really? Yeah. A grown a grown up human being male wanted that. Did he say the same about the Michael Thomas picture? Because he went from Arsenal to Liverpool? Uh, I, yeah, but Liverpool... Probably not. Liverpool were on the decline then, weren't they? Well, they were still one of the major rivals for Arsenal, just the same way as Chelsea are. Mm. Which way round did Pat Jennings go? He went from Tottenham to Arsenal. Did he? They probably want that poster of him still there. Uh, you know about um, Emmanuel Petit, don't you? How he joined Arsenal. No. He was in negotiation with Jerry Francis and was all ready to sign on the dotted line. Um, and Jerry Francis said, well, I just need another day to think about this. Would you mind? Emmanuel Petit said, no, that's fine. Could you, as a club, lend me the taxi fare uh, to get back to my hotel? So Jerry Francis said yes, and they sort of got some money out of petty cash. Emmanuel Petit promptly jumps into the taxi and goes straight to Highbury and knocks on Arsene Wenger's door. Cheeky, <laughs> it? Yeah. Spurs paid for him to join Arsenal. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, actually, this is the Emmanuel Petit derby as well, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I'm going to go for Chelsea as well. I think, like you say, it's quite a personal game. Um, Mourinho's got the hoodoo over uh, Wenger as well. So I think it's quite a brittle sort of side, isn't it, Chelsea? They're sort of um, they're getting tired towards this end of the season because his lack of rotation. He doesn't seem to either trust or particularly want to play like your Mikels and um, your Ramirez's and people like that. But I think at the same time, I think Chelsea could be just a little bit too much. You say that about Ramirez, but I bet he play. I bet he starts this game. He's a little bit like um, Jisung Park was for Manchester United. He didn't play often, but he, he often started the big games because he always puts in a shift, as they say, and gets around the field and plays the the role that fits the tactic for the big games. So I would be shocked if Ramirez started, but Mikel's never been a great footballer, so that's why he never gets a game. Uh, he's number 10, isn't he, for Nigeria? Well, I mean, that says more about Nigeria than Chelsea. <laughs> so what do you reckon it's going to be? It's going to be Ramirez and Matic holding with Fabregas pushing forward a bit more? Yeah, something like that. And then obviously Hazard will be the, the one who pushes up front with whoever is actually starting up front for um, for Chelsea. Yeah. What do you reckon, Colin? We've both gone for Chelsea. I'm going for Arsenal. Hey, go on then. Why is that? Um, last ten games, nine wins, one loss. Arsenal are going to go for it. Um, yeah. I think there'll only be one team going for it. Um, I think it could be a humdinger because I could, I could see Arsenal getting the first goal and then Chelsea are going to have to start playing then. Um, I, I think karma comes around and I think it's Jose's turn to get a little bit of that back in his face and uh, I can see a few people getting a little bit hot and sweaty about Arsenal beating Chelsea and then ooh is there a possibility that Chelsea might not win the Premier League um, yeah I, I think Arsene Wenger would love nothing more than to put one over on Jose and I think he might do it I think this picture's probably got saying going to say a bit more about next season than this season though isn't it Perhaps, yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Okay, uh, so we're going for Arsenal. And uh, that brings us to the end of our predictions. And it also uh, brings us to the end of our podcast. Has anybody else got anything they want to plug or chat or matter about? No. no, Not nope. from me, no. No, okay. Still get our football pinks, Mark? Yeah, you can indeed. Have you, you said you were nearly on the second print run the other week. Um, yeah, could be. Could be. So move in quick before the first one goes. Excellent. So get in there quick or uh, download it from Exact Editions, isn't it? That's right, yeah. Okay. And if they want to follow you on Twitter, how do they do that? Uh, I am at the football pink. Colin, anyone want to follow you on Twitter? Good luck to you. Um, <laughs> with my mad ramblings, uh, I am Cass, that's C-A-S-707. Okay, um, and if you want to follow Man on the Post, that's at Man on the Post, and uh, we'll give you updates as well throughout the week. Uh, there may be a show this weekend, I'm not sure there may not be, um, but you can download this one, or you know you'll be able to download this one because you're listening to it. Uh, if you like what you hear, you can leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Um, five-star reviews are very much appreciated because they push us up the uh, the ratings that little bit further, the rankings that little bit further. Have you got any fridge magnets left, Colin? We've got six. Six fridge magnets left. So any five-star reviews, get one of those fridge magnets. Yep, just got six and then they're all gone. And they've all got a huge skull if you look at them in the years to come. Exactly. <laughs> yes, yeah, so get yourself one of them fridge magnets quick. Uh, thank you ever so much for listening. We um, we appreciate the fact that you download and review and, and listen to us. Any questions, you can uh, tweet us at Man on the Post or use the hashtag uh, MOTP. And all that brings me to oh, thank you very much, guys, for coming as well. So thank you, Colin. Yeah, you're welcome. And um, thank you, Mark. Thank you very much. And all that brings me said is always remember to keep your Man on the Post. Frank Sidebottom. Yeah. You not heard it? I haven't heard Frank Sidebottom in a long time. Well, it goes along the lines of um, Estudiantes, striped shirt, black panties. It's <laughs> uh, It sounds better when he sings it. Good evening. Frank Sidebottom here. Where a little football number like Jackie Charlton. Some players are tall, like Alan Ball. Yeah, some players are small, small as an antis. S to the antis, striped shirt, black panties. Now Jackie Jolton is close to his brother Nigel Clough He was closer to his dad than his mother 
Huddle and waddle Live with their uncles and aunties Their studi aunties Striped shirt, black panties 